this morning, I'm going to give you a head start for where we need to go in our Bibles. So if you have them, go ahead and start making your way to Matthew chapter 16. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. Page 1111. Page 1111. Or if you're using an app or uh, Bible software, Matthew chapter 16. While you're uh, turning there, let me ask you a question. And uh, uh, the, the message will be subliminal. Now, does God have a program or a group or an organization by which he is currently acting in this world to influence, shape, and change things for his good? Does God have a group of people or a group or an organization that can have the power to uh, change nations and to uh, shape politics? Uh, does, does God have a program, uh, uh, an organization, a group of people by which he can rise up, raise up nations and then other nations uh, might, might seem like the power, but when this organization gets involved, even the most mightiest of nations, even the most tyrannical of dictators, even the most mighty of rulers can be influenced, shaped, and changed? The answer is yes. Of course, the subliminal message. What is the church? That's what we're talking about this morning as we continue the Blueprint series. Is what is God doing now? What is he, uh, how is He working now? Who is He working through now? And those types of questions find their answer in the church. Now, if you were to ask people, or someone maybe were to come and ask you, what is the church? We're going to get different answers, right? And likely along the way, some of those answers uh, might be something like this. Well, the church is, you know, that building with the steeple. Well, that church is the building that has the cross on top of it. Um, it's that little that little white sanctuary over there, or it's like the building off of I-40 where First Baptist Elmina meets. That's the church. Or you might you might get an answer that says something like, "Well, the church. Uh, what is church? Well, church is what we do on Sunday morning or Saturday night. If you go on Saturday night, it's, it's where we go at 10:45 on Sunday morning. It's the church. But this morning, what we're going to look at is what the Bible has to say about the church and how the Bible defines the church. And so here's where we're going this morning. And I'll put this back up at the end. The church is a group of people who are built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and who bring the message of Jesus. The church is a group of people who are built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and bring the message of Jesus. So Matthew 16 is where we're going to look this morning. We're going to get a little context. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where I'm going to start. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. And he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So we've got this interchange going on where Jesus has now been on the scene for a while, a couple years now. He's been walking around, he's been teaching, he's done some miraculous things, and people who couldn't walk can walk, people who couldn't see can see, who couldn't hear can hear, 
people who had died, he had healed, you know, and, and so he's done these things, and so word started to spread. People are starting to talk, and conclusions are being drawn about who is this man. And so uh, as he's walking with his now closest followers, his disciples, he takes a moment, and he says, well, what's the word on the street about me? Now, this is just a warning here. Probably not a question you want to go and ask your fellow co-workers. Hey, what are people saying about me in the office? It, it might not go well for you. Well, it might not go well for me if I ask people here, what are they saying about me? Jeff and Russ, man, I tell you what. I don't know. They might. But, you know, it's not a question we, we really ask. But Jesus says, hey, tell me what they're saying about me. And so they, they give an answer. And, and, you know, some say, well, you know, there's this, this, this theory that you might be one of the prophets. You know, that, that you are one of God's prophets. Come on and see. And, and then there's this other theory that says maybe you are one of the prophets incarnate or reincarnate like Elijah. He's come back and his spirit's in you, and so you're living out like that. And then there's this other theory that says you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. You see, because John the Baptist was this mighty preacher, boldly preaching, and uh, he had been beheaded recently. And so this theory was he's John the Baptist come back to take vengeance. And Jesus says, okay, what do you say? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Let's, let's put aside what everybody else is saying, and what do you think? Simon, Peter, steps up and says, you're the Christ. You're God's Messiah. You're the promised one, the one that God sent to fulfill all of his promises, the rescuer. You are him, the son of the living God. That's the verse we're going to spend most of our time on this morning, verse 18. Verse 18. And we're going to look at what is the church. And I've got a few verses at the end where we're going to flip to and, and, uh, and see what it says there. But verse 18 is really where we're going to focus. And here's the first thing we're going to see this morning. What is the church? The church is a group of people. Okay, so let's look at 16, verse 18. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That word church, he says, I'm going to build my church. Do you know that's the first time that the word church shows up in your Bible? When it's translated church, that's the first time. If you were to do a search uh, in your concordance or you went online to a Bible software and, and you typed in church and it were to pull up the places where the word church is mentioned in you and I's English Bible, this is the first place that it's going to come up. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And did you know that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of your Bible, the word church only occurs two places. Here in Matthew 16 and then again in Matthew 18. But then you'll see it a whole lot more when you hit the book of Acts, where you see the church growing and spreading, and then all the letters. But the word church. Now, the word there in the Greek language, um, ekklesia, just in case you like to walk around and sound smart, ekklesia is the Greek word. Now, that word here is translated church. But do you know everywhere else it's going to be translated in different ways? So it's, it's not just Church, in other words, it doesn't just mean church. You can find this word. If you were to type in the Greek word, you would find it in places where it describes uh, a group of people in a court. They've gathered together for court. They're going to make some decisions and some judgments. They are a, a, an assembly, a gathering of people, an ecclesia. Uh, it's going to be described of a mob in, in Acts chapter 19 where in the city of Ephesus, there was this mob that rose up and they were starting to riot. And the scripture uses the word ecclesia to describe that mob. They were an assembly, a gathering, a group of people gathered for a common purpose. But that same word is used in other places where it describes a, a group of good Jewish people who are gathering together to worship on the Sabbath. They were an ecclesia, an assembly, a congregation, 
of gathering. And it's also used of groups of Christians when they gather to worship, a group uh, gathering, an assembly, a congregation. See, that's what the word means that, that's being translated church here. It means a group, a gathering, an assembly of people who are gathered together over a common purpose. And it's not necessarily Christian. Now, what's happened over the years when the Bible was translated into English, you know, so when you translate the Bible from, uh, from Greek and Hebrew to English, you have to put the words that are in Greek and Hebrew into English, and you have to make some decisions. How do I best translate this word into English? Well, when you come to this Greek word, ekklesia, the, the best translation would be assembly or gathering or congregation, something like that. But we get the word church. The reason we get the word church comes down because the word church is not actually the, 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 the direct translation from the Greek. It's more of a German word or Slavic word. The word that, that we get the word church from was the word kircha. That sounds like church, right? Kircha. When that word was used in the German context, it meant something of the Lord and primarily the building of the Lord. The place of the Lord. The kircha. The church. And then that has been passed down in most of our English translations ever since. Church. And its primarily meaning was the building of the Lord. Now, there are at least two translations that I came across in English that do not translate this word church, but instead they translate it congregation or assembly or gathering, something like that. Well, the first one would be William Tyndale, his translation, which William Tyndale was the guy who first put the Bible into the English language. And when he did that, he was translating, he came to this word ecclesia, and he looked it up, and he says, you know, that word is best translated congregation or assembly or gathering, not church. And so he did that, which got him in quite a bit of trouble, because at that time, in the time of the Reformation, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church was in one of the heights of its power, and there was a lot of control that centered on the Roman Catholic Church. Right? So if you, you controlled the people, you had the power. And if you controlled where the people had to come to get forgiveness of sins and, and to pay penance and, and to uh, celebrate the Mass and all that, then you had that power. And so the church, the building, the Catholic building where you would go to uh, worship was where the power was held. So when you then take an English translation and you take the word that's here translated church and instead you write the assembly, I will build my assembly, I will build my congregation, that starts to mess some things up for the Roman Catholic Church at the height of their power, who held their power, which centered in control of the place. William Tyndale was actually killed over that choice of translation. He was killed because he refused to change that word from congregation or assembly back to church. The other English translation that I came across is from the 1800s by a guy named John Nelson Darby. And he was a Plymouth Brethren guy who came and he did his own translation. And you'll find his translation uh, that it says, instead of church, it says a congregation or assembly. And you could probably find one other one, probably Young's literal translation would be another one that would be like this. But by and large, the most uh, of our translations, they say church. And that word primarily meant the building, the place of the Lord. And do you know that it's been passed down from century to century, from culture to culture, and now our culture is the same. When you and I think about church, we first primarily think about a place that we go or an event that we attend. It's the place where we go and gather and we do church, or it's the event that I attend at 1045. It's a church. That are, those are the ways that if you were to go on the street or if I were to take a poll, then many of us would probably, that would be our first response. And that has a tremendous impact on the way we view what we do, who we are, and how we live. 
The cultural the culture defines church primarily as a place you go for an event you attend. But what we see here is that when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's not talking about a building. In fact, later on in Jesus' life, he would talk about tearing down a building and having another one built up. And when he talked about building up that building, he was not talking about bricks and stones, but his own body was going to be raised up. He was saying that the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. The place where God's presence dwelled and people had to go to be in God's presence, that was going to be destroyed. And now he was the temple. You see, the cultural defined church as a place you go or an event that you attend. But the way that the Bible defines a church is it's a group of people gathered around a common purpose. So what is that common purpose? Uh, how, how does that group get together? How is that group formed and made, and what are they supposed to do? The next thing we're going to see is that the church is built by Jesus. So the church is a group of people, and that group of people is built. They're put together by Jesus. So back in verse 18 again, Jesus says, And I told you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build. I will build, he says, my church. Not you, Peter. You're not going to build the church. The apostles, no, you're not going to build the church. No, I'm not going to let people who come after me build the church. I will build the church, Jesus said. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will build. Well, what, what does that look like? You see, now, when you come to these verses, what's happening before is important. So I'm going to give us a little more context. So look back at verse 15. Remember the exchange that's going on. Who do people say that I am? And they're giving their answers. And then Jesus says, what, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And then I've, I've cut 17 out here, not because it's not important, because I want, but I want to try to get 18 on there on one side. But here's 17, right? 17 is the one where, where Jesus says, Simon, you're blessed, because you didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed that to you. And then there's this interchange where he says, and I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter. And upon this rock I build my church. Now, we, we don't see something that's going on here in the original language. Now, if you have the New Living Translation, your Bible does something very helpful here. So here's what the word Peter means. So, so Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter. And in the, in the Greek language, or the Aramaic, if Jesus was speaking Aramaic, he's saying to Peter, you are a rock. I'm going to call you rock. Your nickname's going to be Rocky. Right? And on this rock, I will build my church. There's a word play going on. Now, when he says on this rock, it is a different word, slightly. It's just a different gender of the same word that he called Peter. And so the word Peter, the word that's behind that word for Peter, means like an individual stone, a pebble maybe. But the word for an on this rock is, is used more for like a bedrock, a foundation type of stone. But if we're reading our translations like this one, and it says, and I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, we don't necessarily see the wordplay unless you have a footnote. But like the New Living Translation, what I believe it says is, and you are Peter, parentheses, which means rock, close parentheses, and on this rock I will build my church. So it helps us to see the wordplay. Here's what's going on. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I'm going to call you Rocky. You're a rock. And on you, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, that understanding of these verses have been misinterpreted and misapplied by the Roman Catholic Church. And so what happens is when you and I hear something like that, we kind of cringe. And there, there are people who cringe all throughout history because that's not the only way that people have understood this phrase. 
There, there are some, in fact, many Protestants, non-Catholic people, who would say, no, the, the rock is Jesus himself. It's on Jesus that the church is going to be built. Or it's the confession of Peter. And, and those are all good answers. I, I like better that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I build my church. And here's why. Because the wordplay doesn't make sense otherwise. The wordplay is intentional. You are Peter. You are rock. And on this rock I build my church. But what do we do with the cringe factor? Here's the thing. Just because something is abused or taken and misapplied doesn't mean we can't have that understanding of it. See, so it just got taken too far. And so what the Roman Catholic Church did way back when was they said, okay, well, Peter was the primary apostle then. He was the most important. He had the highest position. And then from him then came the Pope. And so the line of the Pope is traced through the line of Peter. And so every Pope of the Roman Catholic Church since then can be traced back to the lineage of Peter. And so what happened then is Protestants came along and they said, ooh, 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 I don't like the way that sounds. They don't like where that leads. And so we kind of reacted. But just because something's abused doesn't mean we have to react away from it. We just have to get back to what it, what it means. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, you're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So what does he mean? If you want to, hold your spot and go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to have it on the screen if you want to just stay where you are. But if you want to turn, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. If you're using the Bibles in the chairs, page 1318. Here's the Apostle Paul. Now Paul is speaking to this church, this group of people who were gathered in the city of Ephesus. And he's, he's writing to a church that has got a mixture of Jews and, and non-Jewish people. And there's a lot of non-Jewish people in this church. And so now he's talking to them. And he's saying, something special has happened for you. And that should be verse 19, not 9, the one I cut it off on accident. So uh, we're going to start reading in verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens. He's talking to the non-Jewish people. You are no longer foreigners and non-citizens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, clue into verse 20, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So we're going to come back to that. In him, that's in Christ, the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you see the language of building? Jesus says, I will build my church. And here's what he says. He's saying to these non-Jewish people, these people, this church, this group of people gathered in Ephesus, he says, hey, you are being built into God's building. And the way that you're being built is you're being built on top of a foundation that has already been laid, and that is the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, the apostles were Jesus' 11, and then they added one more, 12. So the apostles, these are the ones who saw Jesus from his baptism all the way to his resurrection, with the exception of Paul, because Paul got a special revelation from Jesus. And so he says, you, the foundation is my apostles. In other words, the message that they preached was the foundation upon which these people that Paul is now writing to were able to believe and became part of the church. They were the foundation, though. You think about, we're not going to look at this one, but if you were to look at Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts chapter 2. So Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church. So Acts chapter 2, we've got a group of these, uh, these apostles and maybe some other uh, people with them. There's about 120 uh, gathered is what Acts tells us in Acts chapter 2. And they're in this room, and they're praying together. And then the Spirit of God descends upon this room like a mighty wind. And then all of a sudden, these guys, these apostles, they have like flames of fire floating over their heads. That's real kind of weird stuff. And then all of a sudden, these guys are speaking languages that they've never learned, never been taught, 
and people are understanding them in their own language. They're speaking in tongues. Peter sees what's going on, stands up, and preaches the very first Christian sermon. Right? And so he's, he's standing up in front of all these people, and he starts to preach. And he starts to explain to them what has happened with Jesus, who he was. And then at the end of the sermon, all of these Jewish people who came to Jerusalem to worship, and some of them who are good God worshipers, he says to them, and you are the ones who crucified him. And they're cut to the heart. And their response to Peter is, so what do we do? And Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that day, that day, the church came into existence with 3,000 people who believed in Jesus, who responded to Peter's sermon. Peter, you are a rock, and on you I'm going to build my church. In other words, Peter opened that door. He was the one that God used to bring about the birth of the church. And 3,000 that day. The first day the church was in existence, it was a megachurch. You know, the, the standard definition of a megachurch is 2,000 or more. Now, nowadays we've got like 30,000, 40,000 people in a church. But the standard definition of a megachurch is 2,000. The majority of churches across the, the world is 70 people or less. The very first day the church is born, it's 3,000 people. And then it just grew from there. It was a megachurch the day it was born. God saved that many people in one day, and it was through the sermon of Peter. Peter, you are a rock. And on you, on this rock, I will build my church. It doesn't mean Peter's more important than any other apostle. If you were to read through the other, uh, other parts of the New Testament, you're going to find James mentioned as a pillar of the church alongside of Peter. If you read through the Gospel of John, it's not going to talk about Peter as the disciple that Jesus loved. It calls John the disciple that Jesus loved. And in fact, after shortly after this, the disciples start arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. So it's not that Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm elevating you, and now from you all the popes are going to come to my church. It's just, Peter, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I will build my church. And the way you become part of the church, the way that Jesus builds his church, is people believe in him. You might remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at what is a Christian. We said a Christian is a person who's been given new spiritual life by God through believing in Jesus. The way you become a part of this church, this group of people that Jesus is building, is you believe in Jesus. You get new spiritual life. You're born from above. And then you become part of his church. Way at the beginning of the series, when we were looking at who is the Holy Spirit, one of the things we said about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit connects us to the Savior. And that process of him connecting us to the Savior, it's called spirit baptism. Baptism in the Spirit, by which something supernatural happens where, where Jesus takes the person who believes in him and supernaturally, spiritually joins him to Jesus so that now the New Testament can talk about us as in Christ or hidden with Christ. We are now part of his body. The church talks about, uh, the New Testament talks about church as the body of Christ, the body of Jesus. The way it can talk about that is because the Spirit connects us to him. That's the way Jesus builds his church. As people believe in him, he's building his church. But all of that started on the foundation of the apostles. Peter led the way. He says, I will build my church. So the church is a group of people. It's not a building. It's not an event that we attend. It's a group of people that Jesus is building. But on who leads that? Like who, Jesus is building this church, this group of people, but who leads that? 
Church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to people. It belongs to Jesus. So back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to men or women. It does not belong uh, to organizations or denominations. The church belongs to Jesus. He, as the New Testament will say in other places, is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. It is from him that the church comes forth. It is from him that the church is empowered. It is from him that the church is built. He is the one that guides and directs it so that the, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail over. Jesus is the one who is at the top of this. People do not leave his church. Now, we do try. And there are lots of organizations that meet in buildings every Sunday or Saturday that call themselves churches and are led by people. And it is very easy for us to be in that same spot because we are people. And at any given moment, we can choose not to follow the Lord, not to submit ourselves to Christ. But Jesus is the one who is the head of his church. Now, if I haven't blown your mind yet or confused you, buckle up. All right. When you read through the New Testament about the church, there's a few ways that the church is talked about. One way, uh, we can describe it as saying it's the invisible church or universal church. And here's what that means. Sometimes when the New Testament says, talks about the church, it's talking about the church in the sense that everyone who has believed in Jesus from all times, from the day of Pentecost all the way to now, anyone who has believed in Jesus is part of the church. The reason we call it invisible or universal is because you and I can't see all those people. You and I didn't see Peter. We didn't see Paul. We didn't see, uh, you know, all the people that we read about in the Bible that believed in Jesus, but they are part of the church. In other words, we're all connected to Jesus. That's the church that's invisible. You can't see it, but it's, it's, it's there. They were part of it. So that when you get to the book of Hebrews, it can talk about these cloud of witnesses in a similar way. We've got all these people who have believed in Jesus long before us. They're like clouds of witnesses for us. They're part of the same group, the same movement that we are. Because the church is not a building, and it's not an event that we attend. It is a group of people built by Jesus who belong to Jesus. The church started out as a movement. Culture throughout the centuries has shaped it, our understanding so that it becomes a building or an event. But it was a movement. And movements move. And they change things. And that's what you read about. If you were to read through the book of Acts, you don't read about buildings. You read about a group of people gathered around the name of Christ, worshiping Christ, carrying out the message of Christ. And it's a movement. And it changes things. It influences leaders. You and I, Part of the church that is universal or invisible, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you are joined to the same people who have been a part of that movement from the very beginning of it. We're not part of a building. We're not part of a group or an association. We are part of a movement. We are part of what Christ is doing in and through people. Church universal. Church invisible. Sometimes when you read the New Testament, you'll read about it in another way. And we'll call this the church visible. That is... Like if you and I were to think about anyone who's placed their trust in Christ and they're currently living all across the world. They're part of the church that's visible. We can see that. And so we've got a mission team who's going to head off to Mexico here in a week and a half or so, two weeks or so. And they're going to go and join people who have placed their trust in Christ who are in Mexico. They're part of the church of visible. They're connecting with other people that are part of the church visible. They're, 
groups of people who have placed their trust in Jesus and they're alive now. We send teams to Haiti. We go and we connect with people who are part of the church who have believed in Jesus, but they live in Haiti. We can't gather together necessarily right now, right here, but they're going to connect with people who are alive today who are part of the church. Des earlier was sharing in the middle of the service that she's about to go to the Philippines and she's going to do uh, some mission work there among human trafficking. She's going to connect with the church that's in the Philippines. People who are believers in Jesus but are in the Philippines. It's the church that's visible. You and I can see that, but it's all across the world. Today, you and I are gathered in the third sense of the word church. Sometimes when you read the word church in the New Testament, it's talking about a local gathering, a local assembly, where people of one town or one city got together, all who who were coming together to uh, worship Jesus. Now, listen to this distinction, though. To be a part of the church that's universal, you know, the church of all times, of all, Uh, Since the day of Pentecost, you have to believe in Jesus. To be a part of the church that's visible, the the church that, you know, uh, that includes all the people who are currently alive now across the world who have placed their trust in Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus. In the local church, you've got people who have placed their trust in Jesus. But you also have people who are gathered here today who have not placed their trust in Jesus. Or they're gathered at First Baptist or First Christian or Wesley United Methodist or churches all across the world. They're gathered in this local assembly and they may not have placed their trust in Jesus. But here's the distinction. They may be part of the local church, this local gathering, and it may be hard for us to tell the difference sometimes, and we've got to be careful about that. But here's what you need to know. If you, you're not someone who's placed your trust in Christ, just because we attend church, okay, just because we attend this gathering at 1045, that does not connect us to Christ. Just attending church at, at a particular time or, or gathering together with a bunch of people from your town or your community who are gathering together uh, during this hour does not make you part of God's family. Okay? But we've got a mixture in all the churches across the world, the local church. Jesus is building his church. The church belongs to him. Because the church belongs to him, the purpose of the church is the purpose of Christ. The mission of the church is the mission of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 28, go a few chapters more. We looked at this last week. This is the Great Commission. We were looking at it for baptism. But here it is again. Therefore, Jesus says to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the ages. The mission of Jesus, and therefore the mission of the church, a group of people built by Jesus who belong to Jesus, is to carry out the mission of Jesus. That is, make disciples. How do you make disciples? Making disciples first starts with evangelism. Right? You've got, in order for a person to be, to be a disciple of Christ, at some point they've got to place their trust in Christ. In order to place your trust in Christ, at some point, you've got to hear the message of the gospel. So the Great Commission includes evangelism, but it doesn't stop there. See, remember last week I said evangelism is one event, one moment in the entire process of discipleship. And so a person who has now placed their trust in Christ, they're now part of the church, they're brought into God's family, there's now a need to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, you've got to learn now, how do I think differently about things? How do I treat people differently now? How does God help me do that? What does He expect of me? All of that has to be a change, and that is a process of discipleship. That is making disciples. 
When it comes to local gatherings of churches like Eastman, like First Baptist El Reno, First Christian, or pick your favorite you know, local church, and um, it, it, what happens is a lot of times, especially if your mindset is the church is a building or an event that I go to, now the church becomes inward focused. It's about us. We've got to protect ourselves. We've got to make sure we've got all the right things and the right people. But the Great Commission includes both outward and inward. Now, a church can't just be outward focused. And to be honest with you, most local churches, that's not the problem. And the problem is not that most local churches are just too outward focused. They just are sharing the gospel too much. That's not the problem. The problem is most local churches, they're not sharing the gospel enough because we get too inward focused, likely because we've, we've settled for thinking that the church is a building and event we attend. And we're going to come back around to that in just a moment. The church has to be both. We have to make disciples, which includes reaching those who are outside of church, those who don't believe, those who need to hear the gospel, but at the same time not stopping there, but bringing them in and equipping them so that they can learn to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. And that's a process we're all in. We're all constantly needing to learn more about what Christ has commanded us so that we can submit ourselves more. How should I think about this? How should I be a husband to my wife, a wife to my husband, an employee to my employer, a boss to my employee? How do I do that as now someone who's been given new spiritual life by God through believing in Jesus, a Christian? Okay, so the purpose of the church is the purpose of God. And I've got another one here for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you want to hold your spot uh, in Matthew still, but then go to uh, Acts chapter 1. Here's what it says in verse 8. Jesus is about to go up to heaven. He says to his apostles who are just kind of staring at him, and he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Okay, that happened in Acts chapter 2, that scene I described earlier. And you will become my witnesses in all the world. The purpose of the church, the group of people who are being built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, is to bring the message of Jesus to all the world. That includes evangelism, but it includes the entire process of discipleship. That's who the church is. Not a building, not an event, but a group of people who are built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, who bring the message of this has tremendous bearing on several things. The way we think, the way we act. Here's a few of them. Think about your favorite church split story. Your favorite story about a church who got into a ridiculous argument. Something like uh, the worship music. I don't like that style of music. The color of the carpet. You know, the color of the chairs or the shape of the building. And church is just divided over that. How does a church get to that? How does a group of people who are supposed to be gathered in the name of Jesus get to that point? When we start to define the church as a building or an event that we attend. If it's about the building that we, we congregate in or the event that we attend, it now becomes inward focused. It's about my preferences. It's about what makes me comfortable or uncomfortable. It's about me or who gave the money or whatever the case may be. But when we start to understand that the church is not a building, not an event that we attend. It's a group of people across all the world, across all of the time since Pentecost when people have been beginning believing in Jesus. It's not a building. It's a movement. When we start to understand that, the questions don't become what color should our carpet be or what style of music should we have or color chairs. What it becomes is how can we best carry out the purpose of Jesus in the culture that we're in? 
How can I best reach the people around me? What, what is, what is the, the, the way that we can best facilitate others coming to worship Jesus? It's a group of people who are being built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and bring the message of Jesus. And when that's your focus, the things that typically tend to split churches that are pretty ridiculous and petty, they get put in proper perspective. It has bearing on that. Uh, it also has bearing on this. When we, when we tend to gather and we think that the church is a building or an event we attend, we start to think this is the sacred space. So when I'm here, I'm in the presence of God. This is sacred. And when we think that the church is a building or an event that we attend, when we leave here in the next five or ten minutes, we're no longer in sacred space. But the church is a group of people who are being built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, who bring the message of Jesus. Which means, guess what? If you place your trust in Jesus, you and I are the sacred space. It's not a building. Which means everywhere you and I go, we are the church all day, every day. We bring God near to people who are far off because when we believe in Jesus, the Spirit dwells inside of us. That never changes once you believe in Jesus. So now everywhere you go, you are the building of God. You are the church. So that means everything that you and I do is sacred. It's not just about gathering here. This is not the sacred space. Which means when I think about going to work, when I think about um, going to be around my family, when I think about being out in the community, I need to not think about this building being the sacred space, but everywhere I go, everything I do needs to be run through that filter as I am part of the church. I am part of the body of Christ. I am connected to Jesus. I have the ability through God working through me to bring people near to Jesus. That changes the way you do things. That changes the way you think about how you go about doing it. And it's not just about evangelizing in the workplace. That's part of it. But it's about how you do everything you do. Do you work unto the Lord? It, it has bearing on that. Um, it, it has bearing on, uh, you know, what you think about me being up here doing and how you compare that to what you do. So if, if I was a gambling man, I'd say that some of you probably think that I have a more important role or Jeff has a more important role or Russ has a more important role than you do. But here's the beauty of the church. See, all of us who have placed our trust in Christ, we're a part of the church. We belong to Jesus. Okay? That means you are just as important as me. And it probably means you actually will have more of an impact than I will have. Because I tend to stay more inside these walls than you do. You and your role as you are the church out wherever you are is equally as important as what I do up here each Sunday. What Jeff does, what Russ does. Because we all have the same one spirit. I have no more spirit of God than you have spirit of God. The question we all need to be asking is, how submitted to the spirit of God am I? You're the church. You're the sacred space wherever you go. What you do is important. Uh, it also then has bearing on things like politics. I'm the church. God lives inside of me. If everywhere I go and everything I do is, is me being the church then I need to run the way I think about politics through that grid. If I belong to Jesus, I'm being built by Jesus, I'm being led by Jesus, how does that influence the way I think about the government that God himself created? How do I think about the way I'm going to vote or the way that I'm going to uh, push forward certain issues? I've got to run that all through 
that bridge. See, when we start to, to realize the church is not a building or an event we attend, it starts to change the way we do everything. And that's a tremendous change in the way we think. It has to do with church size, too. So, one church might be 200. One church might be 20,000. The key is, is the church, that local group of people, are they being faithful and true to the message of Jesus? Are they bringing that message of Jesus to people? Are they standing on it and carrying out the purpose of Jesus? If so, stop judging them. Right? Because here's the thing. The day the church was born, it was a mega church. God is not opposed to big churches. Okay, but here's what we tend to think, especially if we are part more of a smaller church. We think big church, they sacrifice, they compromise, they're watering down the gospel. That's why they're so big. Maybe. But it may be that they're getting so big because they're boldly preaching the gospel and God's working through them like he did on the day of Pentecost in the first days of the church and people are coming to Christ. And it may be that other churches are so small because they're watering down the gospel. All right? So the church is not a building and it's not a method. We can shape and change the way we go about reaching our culture as long as we're being faithful to bring the message of Jesus to stand on that. We all have to do our responsibility of how do I best reach these people? How do I best reach the people that God has planted me in the middle of? It's a method. Don't marry a method. You date the method. You get that, okay? Don't marry a method, which means you stay with it forever. You date it. When it gets tired and you're old with it, when you're, when you're tired and it's old, you move on. Okay? What's going to best that's bad? Don't follow that in real life. Okay? That's just what we do. I'm not saying do it, right? Okay? But that's how we need to do it. That's what I get for not thinking through things. The church is a group of people who are built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and bring the message of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've not placed your trust in Christ, it's important that you know just attending this local gathering, this church, does not bring you into the family of God. It gets you close to a lot of people who might be, but it does not connect you to the Savior. It does not give, give you the life that God offers us through Christ. And so what, what God would require of you is the same thing he required of all of us who have placed our trust in Christ. Nobody's exempt. That Jesus came, he lived the life that we are supposed to live, but we can't. And then he died in our place, which is what we deserve. He took God's penalty, God's wrath of sin, our sin. And he died, and that sacrifice is what God used to take our place. And then Jesus rose from the dead to new life. And so now when we trust in Jesus, stop trusting in whatever we're trusting in for hope, salvation, and put it all on Christ, God gives us new life. And he connects us to Christ. He brings us into the church, adopts us as sons and daughters, brings us into his family. That's what God requires of us. That's how you become part of the church. So, Father, what a magnificent... A program, group, plan that you have in the church where you bring people of all different backgrounds, all different races, uh, different um, languages, and they're all connected in the same way through faith in Christ. And this is a group of people that you're building and that you uh, that belong to Christ that you then use. It's a, it's a movement of yours that cannot be stopped. But when we, when we diminish that movement to a building or to an event that we attend, God, we are settling for far less than what you want to be through us as your people, as people who belong to Jesus, as people who can, because you're working in and through us, have the power to topple tyrants and governments and to, to change the way the world goes. Nothing can stop it. 
He said the gates of Hades cannot overpower it. Even death itself could not keep Christ down. So death itself will not stop this church that you are building. Now there are some here this morning who maybe they're not part of your church. But now it's time. And so would you help them to understand that you sent Christ to die for them. Took their place. Their sin was paid for. And now he rose from the dead. And we believe in that. Trust in that. But that's what, that's what we need to get us restored into a relationship with you. And when we do that, God, you give us life. You bring us into your church. You adopt us into your family. Thank you for that grace that is so undeserved. Help us all, God, to change the way we think about your church. Show us where we've relegated it down to just a building or an event. Reframe it so that we see it as a group of people who are being built by Jesus, who belong to Jesus, to bring the message of Jesus. We do that to the glory of Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, guys. Um, so glad that you were here. Um, two quick reminders. One, remember that next week, I don't know if I said this at the beginning. One service. I did. Okay. It's been a long, long hour here. Um, next week, one service. So if you would normally go to the first service, it's not going to happen. And during this 1045 service next week, no kids' church. There will be a nursery. Okay? And then the 4th of July picnic, if you want to sign up for that, sign up on the way out. Or if you receive my email, you can go that way. Okay? You'll please stand. If you're able, we will dismiss. And if you're visiting this morning, if you have a few minutes and you want to stick around, I'll head out these doors, hang a right, I'll meet you down by the couches. We'd love to, to answer any questions you might have. God is so good that He didn't leave this world without hope, but He's working in it. He's working in you. He's working in me. His plan is to work through the church. So go out and be the church. Be the people that belong to Jesus and bring the message to others. And do that with boldness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.